So, Brent, thank you for coming by, taking an amazing tour here, here at Sonalist. That was super cool for you to make the trip to West Hartford, or from West Hartford, rather. Because when I had you on the radio, it was like, you just blew my mind. And literally, when he left, I looked at Pat. Do you know Pat Kenny, right, bro? Yeah. So, I looked at Pat and I was like, dude, that I just feel like I got steamrolled with all this education that, like, was way over my head, right? So I'm like, I've got to find a way to get him back into my <laughs> zone, so I can because the radio is like the commercials are breaking us up and there's all these distractions. So just really appreciate you coming by and spending some time so we can dig deep on all the stuff you're talking about on the radio because it was what you do at Fathom and, and everything you guys are doing is really really interesting to me. And I figured what better better way to do it than taste a little little whiskeys yeah absolutely. do you ever like uh are there any compare comparable comparabilities between like good tasting whiskey and kind of what you do like the story of a whiskey and maybe the story of your work wow that's a great question um you know i guess one of the things you could think about is is the authenticity of what what kind of like love and care went into this yeah um what was in the minds of the people responsible for creating something like this? Because this is an absolute labor of a passion that goes beyond rational thinking. Mm -hmm. You don't just go and make this as a... Well, I mean, you could make it as purely a commercial idea, but that's usually not how these things play out. They certainly don't ascend in value because um, uh, because anything more than there's something really special going on here. So you have to kind of think about you know, what, what would drive someone to do this, um, to make something of this kind of quality and um, it kind of speaks to sort of the core things that we always look at is if you're gonna if you're gonna spend time on anything um, why not make it something that really matters to you okay. and and if if we can find a way that we can connect um, these ideas that often I feel like we don't have permission to talk about things we really care about our passions our our deepest interests the things that matter to us in the world if we can connect those to our work um, it's amazing how it shifts how much energy we're willing to put into something, how much care we're willing to put into something. Um, and if we could have an organization that starts to be built around ideas like that, it starts to change the game completely, which is kind of interesting that you asked that question because it sort of looks at the history of what we've been up to. Yeah, the parallels between yeah. Yeah. creating so great whiskey and work. The far majority of your work is going to be strategy first and spending the majority of the time on the plan and, and how you're going to prepare to start implementing that plan and executing on it. And that's really what, what you're going to do with these organizations that you work with. Well, you know, um, I, have, I have an opinion about plans. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's what I mean when you, yeah. when you like really dig deep. It's not a plan. It's like something so much crazier yeah. than just a plan. It, well, it's, it's, it's more thoughtful. It's, um, um, what it comes down to is is coming to understand um, a way of being and then and what I mean by that is is a connection between um, what am I up to right now um, what is this contributing to that's bigger than me what, mm -hmm. what is it beyond my self-interest that I'm that I'm up to and when we can acknowledge that and we can see that hey you know I'm willing to take responsibility for being up to something bigger than my own self-interest right like I think about the game you're playing you are totally up to something big um, and it goes way beyond what you're doing right now for a profession and it's really interesting and hence I think why we're in the room today um, if we can if we can figure that out um, all of a sudden we can start to see the things that are happening around us that might be mundane as places to practice
-hmm. places to play with the ideas that we believe in, places to um, have the conversations we've always wanted to have. Um, instead of it just being this mundane thing, it's a place of practice, right? So every, you know, I, I can't remember who said the quote, but you know, never squander a good crisis, <laughs> right? Everything is an opportunity to advance what you're up to. I have a just a short story. I have a lot of people that come to me and they're like. You know, I'm in this job, but I have these ambitions, and it feels like, you know, I'm never going to be able to do what I want to do in the constraints of this job that so I have. Right? Yeah, I'm stuck in yeah. this thing. And the only choice I see is to go quit and do something else. And I look at it and say, before you go do that, start to examine the constraints that you're in. And instead of looking at them as limiting factors, look at them as sort of borders the canvas to get creative <laughs> around. Right? Sometimes the most genius things come as a consequence of... Um, having very little to work with, like uh, ethnic dishes are typically ones that were invented when people were starving. They're trying to figure out what to do to eat, and those become these things that um, become these remarkable meals that um, we tie to certain countries. Um, so before you go jump off and jump out of the system, look at the thing in a different way and say, mm -hmm. what, what's here right now that I could use as a way to practice something new? Because guess what? You know what? You're going to go from one environment to another one. You're going to wind up with the same stuff. Yeah. There's going to be some other constraint that you're going to complain about, whatever. That's not going to change. So if you can then look at certain constraints as a place of mastery, um, where maybe I can learn how to overcome challenges that seem um, pretty fundamental, then maybe then I can take that practice somewhere else and then scale what I'm doing in some bigger way. Well, do you... You probably wake up every day and do what you want to do. Are there things in your business or in your life right now that you don't want to do that you have to do? Like that individual's in a job that they don't like. They're waking up doing something they don't like to do. They don't enjoy it every single day. You seem like someone that sheds that away from you all the time. You're probably not doing it, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably mm -hmm. not doing anything you don't love. Uh, <laughs> or... Or I understand things you have to force yourself yeah. into at times. Yeah, yeah, it's right? funny. I, like I have to force myself into the gym every day at five fifteen. It's not like I would much rather do something else, but I'm forcing myself into the gym. But at the end of the day, on the other side, I want that because I want to be healthy. I want to feel good. Yeah. I want to have a clear mind when I start my day. So it is something I want to do, but it's something I'm forcing myself to do a little bit. Yep. You, to me, from uh, the outside looking in, seem like somebody who's shedding anything that they don't want to do. So that advice is almost a little contradictory, right? Where you're telling, don't take the plunge yet, still do something that you don't like to do. But I, I appreciate the advice because it's like, wait, learn from this. What can you apply in the next thing? Yeah. Well, it's like they say you suffer two pains in life, the, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it seems like you're suffering the pain of discipline when you get go to the gym every day at five yeah. fifteen. Because regret, so you don't have to worry about regretting it. Because regret you know? hurts so much more. Oh, for sure, it does right. Well, I'm where the, are you in that place of like just life in general? Are you, are you doing anything you don't want to do? Um. So interesting, interesting idea around decisiveness, um, and focus and intention. Um, at, at the core of, of all the things we do with, with our clients and with the communities is to help them find ground on which to stand to be decisive mm -hmm. and intentional um, and not have the future be a set of um, surprises. Um, and I don't mean good ones. I mean that, that just things happen upon you or, or your, your future is merely a set of reactions to whatever the world throws at you. If you can find 
something that you believe in so much that it can draw you toward it, now all of a sudden the gravity shifted and you're no longer victimized by whatever life throws at you. You're being drawn towards something. Mm -hmm. And there's real power in that. What you said, Byron, about taking care of yourself, that's in service to being your best so that you can do your best work, right? Best work. Same for best me. Work. Running is, 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 if I run in the morning, I am in such a better place for the rest of my day. So, yeah. uh, you know, in mile three when I'm, you know, wanting to throw up, am I happy at that moment? No, but when I'm finished and I feel a mil like a million bucks and I can navigate my day, then it makes it worth it. So discipline is critical, um, getting really good at those things. But what I see oftentimes, especially with organizations, is that they don't um, have a sense of... Um, that thing that could be drawing them forward that goes beyond just what they know to do or what they know that they're making or, or they see, they think about their business as merely its functional production as opposed to some greater aspect or some um, ripple effect that, that maybe they could be taking responsibility for that's really near yeah. and dear to them um, that would have them be much more intentional and focused. I'm going to come in, do this thing, leave. Come in, do this yeah. thing, leave. No, that's the rut they're getting. <coughs> yeah. One of the things that's been, and this has been something we're working on as, as a team within Fathom, is really understanding um, what we all need to be doing. Uh, and, and it's been powerful because we can look at Fathom and what Fathom's up to as this other thing that's bigger than any of us and we're all in service to it. So it gives you this way to sort of abstract yourself from it's about me or it's about you. No, it's about this thing. And then what's it need right now? Is that with equity? Is everybody in the company holding equity? Or is that just with a belief in a religion? It's, it's more of a belief in what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and it's such a compelling idea that it has us understand what we're up to from the standpoint of what's needed now. Um, and how is it that we protect each other? How is it that we develop each other? How is it that we set each other up for success to take care of what we're up to needs at any given moment. It kind of changes things quite a bit about how we think about what we're doing. And so my dream is we get to a point now where um, my team is proactively able to say, you know what, that thing you're spending time on right now, that is not the best use of your time. In mm -hmm. fact, we've created a way to take that off your shoulders so that you can be focused here because that's what Fathom needs right now. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to do the same for my team. Yeah. That And what do you need to know about each other and what you believe in and what you're committed to to be able to take that stance for somebody? I mean, that's um, pretty unbelievable. So we're working on that right, right now and doing a lot of work in our own discovery, um, understanding what each of our gifts are and how we want to contribute to, those, to this thing we're trying to build. So are you creating these relationships with the people on your team yeah. that are on a very personal level, yeah. after work, outside work? Um, not necessarily that we all need to be connected in, any, in each other's shit all the time, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but more like um, knowing how you operate, not just in I appreciate what you do, but also uh, knowing how you operate because I appreciate who you are mm -hmm. as a human being. And then even more than that, I appreciate what you stand for. Yeah. Right? And so it's three things. Your, 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 your physiology, your psychology, and your ontology. You know, what's, what's your, state of, your state of being, your state of mind, um, and um, um, what is it you're good for that, that you can do? If I know how somebody's operating in those domains, I mean, I can then include that in how I relate to them. Yeah, it's kind of like how businesses work too. I yeah. mean, there's a great book called Start With Why and talks about, you, you know, why, how, what, where most businesses it, have it reversed, where they tell everyone how great they are, then they tell them, you know, how they do it, the then what part. they believe in. I always attribute to like going out on a date or like, you know, 
you would never go and say, oh, I'm the greatest person in the world because this is how I operate. And oh, by the way, I believe in like good family values. You'd reverse engineer it and start with what you believe in, how you operate, and then, oh, by the way, this is this is what we do. Yeah. Do, do you separate work and life then? Meaning mm. you're, you're really creating these authentic relationships with everybody around you so you can understand their points of view and and relate that to the greater point of view. So do you separate work life or is it the same or is work or is life rather everything that involves work? Like what's your take on that, right? Because there's, there's yeah. two sides. You're uh you're incredibly perceptive. And, and and I don't mean that because I represent anything, just more that you're you, I think you're acknowledging something that's actually fundamentally shifted um, for all of us mm -hmm. in in this time that we're in is that we can't pretend that there's the possibility of separation anymore. We live fully integrated. Um, and so you can try to compartmentalize yourself, but how do you do that when you have to put on a coat of arm, an armor to go into a company and then you shed that coat of armor when you come home? When you're getting emails at 10 o'clock mm -hmm. at night, you need to respond to you. All of a sudden, I'm gonna turn into an asshole again and, yeah. and put on your armor and then get back to your kids. Like, that's just not working anymore. So, you know, something that, that I think that we're all facing is how do we thrive in an integrated life where we are accessible and available all the time Mm -hmm. um, when work and life and, and all those things are starting to be intertwined, the only thing I can think of that that you can hold on to is, well, who am I going to be in this? What's my relationship to everything that's going on around me? And how do I want to be in those relationships that's consistent no matter what? And I think that's why it speaks to this real desire for people to want to work for companies with a purpose, mm -hmm. right? Why does Simon Sinek's idea about the why, why is it such a popular idea right now? Because if we're going to live an integrated life, and we're human beings. Human beings are meaning-making machines. We want to have a purpose. That's what gives us energy. Mm -hmm. So I want it in everything that I'm doing. I want to know the company I work for is doing something that matters in the world. I want to know that um, I'm doing things for my family that matter to them. Um, all those desires are starting to get mixed up together. So it's causing all these really interesting, I'd say, breakdowns of traditional ways of thinking. You know, this work-life balance thing, I think it's it's for the birds now. I think it's an expired idea that's not useful in an integrated world. Um, it speaks to, in fact, I think this is the fascinating thing, is it speaks to an opportunity for us as a species to start tapping into a higher level of consciousness and awareness of what are we doing right now? Why does this matter? Um, I was giving a lecture a couple of weeks ago and I made the statement that you know, the best and brightest we have are being paid to um, have us click on banner ads. Mm -hmm. Is that the best we can do? Right? I mean, think about what's going on in the world. Think yeah. about what our opportunities are. And this is this is what we're spending our time on. Yeah. Yeah, I like that meaning behind everything we do. One of the reasons I want to drink whiskey. <laughs> and not just, yeah. like, you know. But oh no, I gosh, think it's yeah. purpose. I think everybody in Jamba. this world wants to have some sort of purpose. And sometimes if you work for an organization that doesn't give you the ability to, like, you know, work to your fullest potential, you just become stifled and ornery and angry and... And everything suffers, so I love the idea and of having a purpose. Resentment, right? Because exactly. they didn't get to, to do their yeah. thing and, and have meaning behind their thing. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I remember when I reached out to you, you probably don't remember it, but I reached out to Brent maybe two or three years ago, and I had a list of agencies and prospects that I was, you know, sending LinkedIn notes to and calling, and you never hear back from anybody. Because you spam the shit out of them. Well, no, I, I, I send nice, polite emails. <laughs> But Brent responded within probably, you know, 12 hours and was like, you know what, send an email to 
to one of your coworkers, and I connected with him, and we had a nice conversation. So know, just, man. just now I remember. Yeah, now, yeah. It's totally, just like yeah. those human interactions, like kind of having more than just your self interest and caring say, about other people. And I think you were. De- I know for a fact you were super authentic. For me, on right now in in 2018 on LinkedIn, about I don't know. Three percent of the messages I'm getting on LinkedIn are like authentic. Want to create a relationship? Yeah. I'm getting much more of that on Instagram DM. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's far majority of the DMs I'm getting mm-hmm. are really authentic. People really wanting to connect. People bringing value. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Facebook Messenger is just basically a, a text message app to me. Yeah. But LinkedIn, I don't. I mean, I still like the platform, but I'm much less bullish on it than I was probably 12 or 18 months ago. Well, it's super rich. I, I mean, it gives him an opportunity to say, who's this guy? Let me yeah. check out his profile. Oh, he had a couple blog posts. I see a couple of videos that he did. Eh, you know. I get more out of Twitter when, yeah. it, when it, in a B2B world, though. Yeah? I do. What about you? Are you... It's really interesting, man. Like, I'm finding... Um, I'm finding LinkedIn has gotten more powerful, and at the same time, it's becoming abused more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, several times a week now, someone will connect with me, and the next thing you know, I'll have some bullshit in my inbox. Yeah. Like, okay. that's Any... So, that's new. That's starting to rise Anybody up. Anybody the salary job that involves a suit and a tie is going to be in your inbox on LinkedIn. Oh, man. It's yeah. going to happen. It's mm-hmm. like, please don't. Um, Instagram, I'm finding pretty interesting because it crosses over everything yeah that's been Everybody's very interesting with especially because our work i mean we do so much of this with the community as well as with businesses so it kind of crosses over those territories i'd say you know the community um aspect of what we do facebook is live and you know um, kicking on that yeah. one um the business side linkedin but then instagram seems to cross over those things facebook private groups more effective for like for for me it's the private groups yep. that we've created the private communities that nobody mm-hmm. can even get access to unless you're specifically invited in yeah what about for you or is it more just uh so we have so for example i'll give you like uh we have a um a very active trail running group with like 1500 people and and there's probably two two or private two or three events a week Mm -hmm. and that's the only tool needed to support a community that big and that active it's pretty amazing you get to a thousand people it gets pretty pretty nuts yeah yeah the engagement levels are pretty insane on these private groups if you're yep you know, if, if people are there for a common, going back to your, right, common yeah. meaning. That's right. There's a great, uh, one of our partners, Impact Branding, they... Um, great guys. Yeah, right? Uh, so, so, Chris Dupre, a good friend of mine, he, he's joined them yeah. um, uh, six months ago or something. But anyway, they have the Impact Elite Group, he's which is... He's a good dude. Chris is a good, good a really dude. good guy. And uh, what's great is, is they... Um, they subscribe to the same philosophy we do, which is give it away. Dude, he's an open book. Oh yeah, Brian. That I, mean, I know I mentioned it before, but this is a guy um, open book of what they're doing. What are they at? What's how many people in their shop? I know it was like, like 40, people, they, 46. Wow. The last I checked, I think they're probably. I've never been hiring like two or three. Just to, yeah, they've got a bunch yeah. of people uh, throughout the states yep. working at Impact, but really they'll they'll tell, give you the whole blueprint. They will. They really will, and yeah. so they're doing a good job on their private because they Facebook. they do it right. I mean, if you're not putting something out there of value that someone can walk away going, "Wow, that really helped me," what are you doing? Yeah. Right, you're selling me something. Um, and we all, I mean, one of the things that I think has been interesting where we are now is, as human beings, we've developed the most savvy bullshit meters of all time because oh, we're time. just yeah. sold constantly. Absolutely. So, what did you guys think of the Super Bowl commercials this year? 
Um, one's not sticking out, as you said. Oh, I mean, the, like, I mean when out? I saw the Tide ad, I thought it was genius. That was my first yeah. inclination. What was the Tide? Uh, so everything was the... Every, everything looks good with yeah. Tide. Like, it was well, all fake commercials for other products. Yeah, so they had... everyone was in gleaming clothes, even though they were, like, rolling around in the mud. And so it was, like, picture, being, like, like a soap... Tide thing yeah. later on. Picture just, like, a, uh, a Bud Light commercial or something like that, and then it just stops and says, nope, this is really a Tide ad. Because it basically has like some sort of tied colors in it. So you I thought it was thoughtful. I'm I'm thinking right now, and I, I can't think of one that's really sticking out. So. Well, so here's we see if this rings a bell. The tide stood out for sure, um, and so did the Doritos one because they were well, the Doritos l- with um, the the um, dual, you yes. know, with um, oh, what's Is it? Missy Elliott play. Oh my god, it's mm-hmm. hysterical. Um, those really stood out because they were the only sort of lighthearted, authentic to the brand kind mm-hmm. of things. The rest of the commercials, most of them, yeah. were all these absolutely inauthentic, um, you know, connecting puppy dogs and firemen, and like we're trying to save the world, and it's a Dodge truck. I'm like, come yeah. on! Well, it, was, it was so. It was the lead with your why gone wrong. Yeah, meaning they were trying to make some connection that that, that they're about authentic. some. It was absolutely not. Authentic. But I think it was, all it the agencies. Sickening. It was sickening. It was like, oh my gosh, they have taken it. It yeah. swung so far the wrong way. Well, That's why I, the funny ones stood out more because there were so few of them that were just true to the brand. Yeah, and I think the agencies were kind of scrambling because they didn't. Everything last year was like some sort of political agenda, yeah. and then this year they were like, "Well, we want to go either lighthearted or different." And I just think the tide—it was the right timing, yeah, it was the right good. idea, it was the right execution, and um, I just thought it was well, awesome. The NFL pushed away from anything that would be political and in, in what was going on with them yeah, this year. Certainly, know. you know, if you were going to make. I think they pushed a veterans uh, commercial away. Didn't the NFL turned down a veterans uh, commercial that dealt, dealt with the, the kneeling thing. And yeah. The oh yes. Yeah. There was yeah. none of that. Yeah. So the NFL, I mean, like any year, is going to have control over what what's on there, uh, what ads are running against the commercial uh, the Super Bowl. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of this whiskey? What do you think? Uh, that was something. I'm sad. <laughs> you know why I'm sad? Because it's gone. Because it's gone. <laughs> we have Pappy Van Winkle next. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you're just listening to this and not watching, we went and we started with the Whistle Pig, the Boss Hog. It was a 14-year uh, aged t- barrel number 26. It was a third edition, the Independent. The Prince won the Whiskey of the Year for their Boss Hog variety in 2017. But we're going to go to... I'll just say one thing on that. Are we going to the Van Winkle next? One thing on that is that, like, from a novice whiskey drinker, um, I never had a whiskey kind of linger in my mouth as long as that. Mm -hmm. Like, that was there for, like, the taste of it. Did you enjoy it, though? Yeah, it was was absolutely delicious. Do you know this little cap on the bottle here? Mm Mm-hmm. This alone is, like, selling for, like, 50 bucks. People are buying the cap (laughs) of these bottles. It's nuts. That's crazy. It's really cool. There's a uh, cool restaurant, the Essex. Have oh, yeah, sure. Have yeah. you been there? I haven't been there, but I've heard of it, yeah. So one of the, Michaela, she's the bar manager there. She wants to she wants to get a new pig tattoo. She's all tatted up. Really, really cool vibe in there. A lot of artwork in there. Really cool place. Yeah. And she's like, maybe I'm going to use this cap. It's my next tattoo. Wow. She's She knows her whiskey. Let's go with, go ahead and pour the, the Van Winkle. 15 years. Don't mind if I do. Van Winkle. Obviously, you can Two. eBay. There you go. You can eBay the Van Winkle 15 year. It's got to be, if someone pulls it up, it's got to be over $2,000 last time I looked. Um, interestingly enough, I, I want to get your, your take on it first. Is that empty? 
Love to hear. Have you had the Van Winkle Brunt? Not this one. Okay. Not the 15. Mm -mm. Beautiful. The color is like, you know, different. This was darker. Yeah. This pick was darker. Yep. But Brian's getting into it now. It, first time here at, at Sano Studios that you went into a whiskey tasting? This is the first time, I, I must admit. Do you think it's the, the first whiskey tasting here? Probably not with all in, these crazy you know, bands. In the two right months here. that I've been here, this is the first time I've actually gotten involved in, in something like this. Outstanding. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the crazy bands that have come through here. Yeah, I, I got a feeling that some uh, some whiskey drinking has gone down on stage 15 or in whiskey, Power Station before. Maybe some other things. No, just strictly. Never. Just strictly. <laughs> Never. Strictly <whiskey>. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You get a band in here today, right? Yeah, we have uh, we had a, a pretty big uh, heavy metal band. We probably can't say who they are, though. No, nah, we'll respect their privacy. But, I mean, the, the, the bones of this place is just unbelievable in the sense that, you know, just some Aerosmith has come through here. Billy Joel has come through here. Uh, mm. Well, you're blown away. And to, for it to be in southeastern Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that. is that, you know, I didn't realize there was this campus off of 95 in between Boston and New York that had, like, it's like a mini Hollywood. In the sense that we have, you know, over thirty-five thousand square feet of stages. We have a world-class recording studio in Power Station, and then obviously the media capabilities ranging from general video to augmented reality and animation and VFX. Well, I know for conversations that we've had a couple of years ago, you and Michael were like, "Man, I don't know." If... You you remember these conversations? Of course. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you know this area is you know. The way we're thinking, the way we're producing work, if, if there's enough customers for this, this area. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, now you're a soundalist, and, and I think there's huge upside. It's exploding. Yeah, it's and unbelievable. staying here locally. You don't have to be L.A. You don't have to be New York. You can do it here. Yeah. And, it, and with everybody bailing, yep. it gives us all the leverage, all the advantage Absolutely. Up here in Connecticut. And as brands are kind of going kind of away from that big agency model to more like boutique companies mm. that can add an incredible amount of value for a fraction of the price, yeah. I think that we're well positioned to work with ad agencies, work with production companies, and just create incredible content in southeastern Connecticut and then put us on the map. So when we get picked up by Ad Age or Advertising Week, people are scratching their heads and are like, what the heck is going on well, in I southeastern Connecticut right now? And um, Brent knows, he's yeah. been on the show, I've been talking about it on the radio ad nauseum that right now, when everybody's going one way, like the stock market, mm -hmm. I want to go the other way. And so with everybody doom and gloom on Connecticut, I just see nothing but opportunity. Oh, absolutely. For everybody that's willing to put in the work and do great work. Yeah. Right? It comes down to that and have true meaning behind what you do. Yep. But the opportunity is there because Connecticut's not going away. Like Boston and New York, are always, we're always going to be yeah. in between those two cities as far as I am. Maybe Brent, because he is the smartest man in the room. Yeah. Can tell man. Otherwise. Yeah. The smartest man. man. <laughs> international Women's Day. Did you know that? Yeah. We have a very smart woman in the room, too. <laughs> and it's International um, Women's Day. So we get, we but no, I think like you're right in terms of everybody, in terms of work-wise, is going one way. But I think of perspective-wise, because everybody's perspective in 2018 is me, 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 me. Take a photo of me and post it on me. Whereas... I love the fact that Brent's kind of perspective is, you know, other people's self-interest instead of my own. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're in the minority of people right now, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And well, yeah. with what they're doing, it's so deep. Like, it's really deep. Like, you really have to take a step back. And it, it's you can't talk to Brent and in 10 minutes be like, okay, 
I really got a good feel for what they're... It's deep stuff. Like, yeah. you really got to dig. That's why I had my self-interest in heart as I was walking around here giving the tour about this place. I knew yeah. asking him about Fathom and stuff, uh, it was more than just a casual, what do oh, you yeah. do? It's not a... It's not a... It's... Yeah. It, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think of the Van Winkle? Uh, well, I was just going to say this is a completely different experience. So different. Completely. And, and it's funny, the nose was sort of oaky charcoal-y. Wow. But none of that came through in the taste. It yeah. started with a real fruity, mm-hmm. caramelly kind of thing going on, um, and then it, uh, yeah, I don't even know. Wow. It, the smoky came in a little bit Sorry. later. <laughs> completely different experience. It just opened up. Yeah. Completely different experience. It's delicious. Mm. So you're a big fan of Van Winkle. Yeah, I mean it's a tough. This is some tough, tough life choices between these two. I'd say. I'm really into. What they're doing. I mean, this is more the. This is what I'm more used to. This is <coughs> this is unique. This is unique. The Van Winkle's unique. The buzz. I mean, the buzz on Van Winkle. Like, literally, that Monday of Thanksgiving week is when everybody gets and every, you know, Connecticut package stores. They're getting two bottles. Mohegan mm. Sun, I think, got like five bottles or something ridiculous. Like, they don't even get that many bottles of this uh, Van Winkle. Yeah. Wow. It's really hard to get. But when you compare, you know, these guys here are just doing some amazing work. When you compare it and then you factor in what you would have to pay on eBay. I'd pay just to smell this. It's that. So you're you're a much bigger fan of the Van Winkle than... Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, got more of a bite to it when you first sip it. But um, But the the experience is not, like the back end to me. Yeah. That was much stronger than the back end. Yeah. 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 Wow. Which I enjoyed. Mm. Almost like a sherry... Mm. Nose when you let it, it sit for a little bit. I was at the, oh, uh, was it Wayfair Distillery up in Bloomfield? Um, and it was interesting because they, they were having us sort of smell things in different stages of the process. Um, it's pretty interesting. But uh, I didn't realize that at its core, you know, spirits are all coming from the same thing. Um, some, some sort of, um, product that you can extract the sugars out of, whether it be corn or wheat or whatever it might be, it all sort of starts with the same thing, and it's all a matter of extracting the sugars, fermenting the sugars, and getting to that point of um, alcohol density, and then from there you have choices to make. Am I going to go gin? Am I going to make vodka? Am I going to make whiskey, scotch, whatever it is? Then all of a sudden you start entering different processes, but at its core, it's all about extracting sugars and fermenting those sugars. Um, which is really pretty fascinating sort of reminder that yeah. you know at its essence you and you kind of have your options you pick whatever um, it is they chose to um, select a locally farmed wheat as their source wow. to pull the sugars from that's cool I mean yeah. there, obviously there's been a huge microbrew revolution going on in the past you know, 10 years 15 years I'm sure there's people in the game as far as Sam Adams say it's been going on longer than that is there any sort of revolution that's going on in whiskey or any other kind I of spirit? The whiskeys and the bourbons right now, like in its current state, is definitely happening. Gin is like starting to pop a little bit. Like that's like the, the, yep. the you know some of these uh, smaller I don't know what you would call them distilleries I guess of gin mm-hmm. are starting to pop up. Kind of like what you saw with the you know Whistle Pig is in in uh, Vermont I believe. So they just kind of popped on the scene a mm-hmm. few years ago. Yeah. Um, I think it's the next wave. The next wave of the of the advancing the variety and our ability to taste is going to be distilled. Um, let me throw this really quick, the next 
the next wave. Let me throw this one out there. We're all in kind of the marketing, media, branding world, and we talk about value in terms of putting a value on a video or a piece of content. Like, how do you put a value on something like, like whiskey? Like the people that are paying mm. over two thousand dollars for Van Winkle. Exactly. How does how do you that think? can be more? I mean, the it's become this like almost like untouchable thing. The Van Winkles people want it more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Like. Right, you can't get it. There's limit. What was the? There was a sauce for McDonald's recently. Just you, you weren't telling me about that. Was somebody there? No. You talking about the Szechuan sauce? What is it called? Szechuan, uh, Szechuan sauce. Szech Szechuan sauce. Szechuan sauce. Some crazy. I don't know how to even say it. Yeah. It was some crazy sauce. Is that McDonald's or a different fast food chain? It was McDonald's. So, essentially, people were waiting. This was like two weeks ago. I know who told me. Uh, Jerry from Mazu in Norwich, yeah, great great sushi spot mm. in Norwich. Next podcast, Actually, sushi. absolutely yeah. sushi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sushi podcast, absolutely. Right. He says, "You ready for the sauce tomorrow?" I was in his restaurant the day before. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He showed me there's already people waiting like outside of these McDonald's because each McDonald's got like two thousand packages, like the barbecue sauce or whatever yeah, you can get sure. on a chicken nugget I back haven't. in the day. It was this sauce. It's been eight years since I've been in a McDonald's. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Stay up, right? Well, I don't know. Is McDonald's a client, Brian? Not yet. Okay. All Not right. yet. But they, I think, yeah, maybe. maybe but this days. sauce, it was a They're limited, coming out with vegan food. They, for whatever reason, they don't just give you this sauce every day. It's once every six months. Well, it's like the McRib. Or the you got to wait around like that? for that bad boy. You yeah. got to get that all year round. <laughs> the lobster roll. The last time you were at McDonald's right, was a McRib eight McRib. years ago. <laughs> did anybody see the lobster roll eating? Casey Neistat did the lobster roll. He went to McDonald's. He went to um, the Captain Scott. Captain Scott. Yeah. He went to all these different places. Like he drove from New York all the way down and ranked them against the McDonald's lobster roll. How to do? They were, McDonald's did not rank well. No, no, it did not do a good job. Especially in this area. No. So what do you think? A bunch of guys sit in a in, in a room or tasting this whiskey, and you're like two thousand bucks for this bottle. <laughs> like, what's the? No, Van Winkle is just so limited, and then it, it this buzz started. People wanted it, and mm -hmm. then. You, there's just a limited number that goes around the week of Thanksgiving and then it starts getting bit up on eBay. The prices of this stuff is really, like, I actually started buying this for, like, maybe 100 bucks or something. Oh, wow. $150. Got it. And they're flipping it for 300 and and then it becomes higher in demand, and there's mm -hmm. not as many out there. Okay, I understand. Well, because each pack store is getting two in Connecticut, right? So probably down in Kentucky, you're getting a lot. But then it flips the script from Pappy Van Winkle making money to a collector who's able to yeah. profit from it. And that happens a lot. Like the secondary market for a lot of products is where the real money's made. Yeah. It's not the original source. Yeah. And, and like myself being a complete novice, I'm just going out on a limb and I'm, and I'm saying that the Boss Hog in five years could be trading mm. at a ridiculous multiple like like the Van Winkle. But that's just because I personally like it and I, I know how people feel about it when they do have the Boss yep. Hog. They really, really like it. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's... Things like what we're doing right now is what has that happen. Yeah, because people are gonna hear this and be like, "What's this all about? Why do they keep talking about that? I must try it. Like, yeah. how do I get some?" Well, I was, right. at, I was up at the Hermitage Club in uh, in Vermont, and I, after dinner, I said, "Hey, do you guys have any interesting whiskeys?" Like, well, I don't know. I said, "Do you have any?" We were already talking about Van Winkle. Um, he's like, "Well, if you like Van Winkle, I've got some," and that's the first time I tried the Boss Hog. They're selling it for like sixty to seventy-five dollars a shot. Um, yeah. the wow. boss hog in, in, in most of the restaurants. That's so. crazy. But, well, you could drink J-Mo. 
Yeah. But it's not. But to me, I like to drink really good whiskey. Going back to your whole thesis of like having this deep meaning, like I just would much rather sit there and taste something so good than just drink to drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to. Back in back in my really partying days, I could drink JMO just to drink. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I, re- I actually retired from doing any shots. I won't even do shots. Good for you. A couple of years ago, like you won't go to McDonald's. I will not do shots. <laughs> you go out to the bar with me and ask me to do a shot. I'm like, no, they don't have like good whiskey or something like that. Yeah. I'm just gonna get a glass of wine. Yeah. Right. And that's what's so great about I think just overall um, the drinking culture shifting um, mm-hmm. because the quality that's available now is is unbelievable. So it's not about how much of it. In fact, I mean, my God, if you drank more than three beers of the beers that we have today, I mean, you're, <laughs> yeah. you know. So it's uh yeah it's shifted shifted everything. Um, so I have a question for you. Yeah. What's driving you? You were relentlessly putting energy into um, a lot of different things, um, but there's always a common thread, and you you're um, a stalwart advocate for Connecticut and what's going on in this region. What's that about for you? What why what drives you to do that? Well, what I think what drives me is different certainly than the conversation around Connecticut, like what drives me personally, mm. and, and it's certainly evolved because if you ask, you know, when we met, Brian, mm-hmm. what was driving me was the fact that I had gone through massive failure, and I didn't want to be like the gentleman that you were referencing earlier in the podcast that is going to the job and hating it every single day. Uh, I was going into a job after going through bankruptcy, after my first failed real estate ventures mm. of buying three houses 19 to 21 going through bankruptcy because I thought I had the thing figured out thought I had it kicked and realized I didn't know anything and then I was working at a job fabulous job dad worked there my dad worked there for 30 years people make you know really really good salaries tremendous job wasn't what I wanted to do going in there every day hating it and I took the opposite approach of what and I think the advice you gave that gentleman was spot on, which is, you know, use this as a learning tool for your next thing, or maybe even after work, hack what the next thing's going to totally. be. Yeah. That's practical advice. I quit at 11 a.m. before lunch because I was like, fuck this, I can't do it anymore type of mentality when I got into real estate. So my first couple of years of real estate on the sales side was really, it was that venom of like, I'm doing this because I never want to go back to that place. Yep. Right? Like when my alarm would go off when I was at that place, I was pissed. I was pissed off in the morning. Now when my alarm goes off, I'm super pumped. Mm. So I'm getting on a 5 a.m. call. I'm going to be talking to, you know, now over 700 people that are up and down the East Coast that are passionate about a morning routine. And I'm jumping into my morning routine, jumping into my day and something that I'm passionate about. But I'm not, what's driving me now is not the venom of like wanting to prove people wrong or not wanting to go back to that place because I'm at a place where I'm not going to go back to that place. I'm going to wake up and do the things that really motivate me every single day. And now it's at a place where I want to literally, my deep meaning is bring the people with me, around me with me that I really want to be around. Meaning, whether it, whether it's a family member, whether it's a close friend, there's so much talent in the people that I've even grown up with, maybe not grown up with or created a relationship with over the last 10 years. It could be a variety of different things. There's so much talent 
that is being wasted out there. And I want to pull those people up. I want them to be around me. So I get in, and the reason I asked you the question about what, you know, how personal do you get with the people that you work with? I tend to, the people really in the core, I tend to get, you know, not super personal. Like, I'm not like in their shit, in you're their like, family you're shit. You're not babysitting their kids. Not babysitting their kids. No, I don't even babysit my own kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that would be super contradictory. But, no, like, but lots of dinners, you know, lots of outside of work getting to know that person and, and their goals and their ambitions really, really uh, sink in with me and they become mine, right? And, mm. and so, um, you know, I'll use my sister as, as the example. She's a school teacher. She's a natural born school teacher, um, but with kind of where that model is today, as we sit here in 2018, it's very frustrating. She's, she works at a school that, that doesn't have a lot of money coming into the school, uh, doesn't all the time have parents that are super passionate about what's going on. So she's fighting it from both ends. Mm -hmm. She can't get par parents interested, she can't get money for the students. She would love to teach, but she also really loves yoga and she also really loves to write. And I want her to write all day and do yoga all day because that's not gonna weigh on her and we're gonna be here one time, mm. right? And I just, and, and that's why I also asked you the question of like, do you wake up and do shit that you hate or do you mostly do stuff that you love to do every single day? And the people that I really love and care about, I want them to do shit that they love every single day. And with, where media and marketing and it's just such a I see it as such a broad business um, getting all these media and marketing opportunities now is interesting because it's only because I put in the work on real estate and that is a business that really can be in parallel to so many different businesses all of the different things that you do whether it's marketing analyzing properties dealing with clients dealing with emotions there are so many levels to real estate that kind of uh, tie into marketing very nicely. And then marketing so broad that if you have somebody that's passionate about yoga or passionate about writing or passionate about whiskey, there's, it, you know, it doesn't have to just be a filmmaker or, a, you know, the traditional stuff. There is a place for that person within that company, within that atmosphere. And that's why you're somebody that I think is super interesting to be around because you're thinking so big and, and just like this when you when you talk I'm just blown I don't know if you are I'm just blown away I'm like the thi the things that must be going through your mind are just so above and beyond the transaction or the what's happening in the moment it's so much deeper and I really respect that you know so something you said that I think is really um, important to acknowledge is um, I subscribe to a belief that um, leadership is a practice of creating conditions where others can thrive beyond even know even even what they thought was possible which is exactly what you're doing think of think of think of say it again see you use these fucking words <laughs> blow my mind <laughs> you are up to um, making it a priority that you are creating conditions where others can bring themselves um, into the world in a bigger way around you that's and get to their deeper meaning right that they're yeah. right it's selfless um 
maybe selfish too, and that's okay. Like, look, we gotta, well, we gotta, we gotta well, serve our self-interest. Here's something super interesting, and I say it every single day on the five AM call when I moderate. The before, so before I start my five minute talk for that day, my five minute message. The thing I say right before that is, in your morning routine, be super. Everybody on this call, is somebody that's afterwards doing some type of two, three, one hour morning routine. Be super selfish in your morning routine, whatever you have, your next two hours, your next three hours, so that you can be selfless the rest of the day. If you don't have a level of serious selfishness, I'm a, I'm a badass selfish motherfucker, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to be selfish. Yeah. You're not going to be selfless. You have no chance of being selfless. Yep. You have to have it have yeah. yourself taken care of up front. Well, there's a reason why they say put your mask on first in an airplane if it's going down before you can put somebody else's mask on. You're going to be of no help, right? You know? Yep, that's right. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself because yeah. if you don't, you're not any good to anyone, especially when you're up to a game as big as the game you're trying to play. When you're trying to play a game at that scale, it takes everything you've got. Um, and it's easy when you're really generous and passionate and driven, I, and I have to watch out for this, is that I'll get myself into trouble. Um, I'll get too thin and get to the breaking point. Too many point. yeses? Too many, yes yeah. And, and so you ask the question, am I doing things that I don't want to do? I, here's how I'd say it. It's, it's, it's an ongoing practice to remind myself of what am I to what am I out for and what is being presented to me is it an opportunity to um, have what I'm up to progress and do something good is it a distraction um, and w do I need to protect what I'm up to because if I go and do that I'm gonna put energy into it and I can't do anything without putting my full self into it mm -hmm. um, is that energy gonna be put in a place that's going to move what I'm trying to do forward in some way and that's where you can go from having all these things that you could be spending your time on and being all over the place to yeah. being really focused on. I had someone earlier today say to me, I've been doing a lot of lecturing lately, and, and the person was saying, well, you're sort of involved in all these topics, and, and one thing we're talking about, you know, the millennial generation, on another topic we're talking about um, um, gamification, um, doing a lecture on um, the, the human-machine connection when it comes to how is it we relate to technology. And you would think on the surface there are all conversations all over the place. I'm like, I'm not an expert in any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the part of that conversation I'm willing to own is... Um, who's going to speak for human purpose in all this? As all these things are changing, if we don't remind ourselves that we need to care for the human condition because we're the creators of all this. And as we struggle to keep up with the world that we've created, what do we need to do to take care of ourselves? And what do we need to do to relate to what's going on? Here's an interesting thought, right? So I talked about um, you know a lot of our best and brightest being paid to figure out how to get us to click on banner ads. Um, if we're not careful in making sure that we get in front of all of this technology, it will overtake us. And when I say overtake us, those with the resources in which to wield technology um, will be able to really subjugate the rest of the population because it get, will get so good at influencing us. We are so good at the science of persuasion so good at the, at the science of getting people to buy stuff or mm -hmm. to do things or to manipulate our oh, yeah. thinking that if we're not careful, and I'd put it this way, two things are going to happen. One, we're either going to create conditions in which we are going to seek a reason to have this technology in play that's bigger than us, or we will be subjugated by it. I'm not as personally as worried about, here's the thing, like persuading people to do certain things the classic example, you can look at the most recent presidential election. 
those people had to click on that shit. They wanted to see that Donald Trump ad. They they clicked on it, whether it was from some Russian or wherever, they clicked on it for... I'm more worried about the technology getting to a point where somebody can go in there and just fuck some real shit up. Like, some real shit. Yeah. Not like, who's president? That's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things because their power is limited. But, like, some bad stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Absolutely. Because that's yeah. where it can get to. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's where it's going to go. We're building so much technology on everything that we do that you take the power grid out, you take something ridiculous out like that, that's what scares the hell out of me. Absolutely. I do agree. I mean, the persuade, and I just think that comes down to we ultimately have a, a major mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I can see an ad for what it is. But I'm also a little bit deeper entrenched in an ad or a persuasive ad. But we do have a, a serious mental health issue where somebody, I guess, could be really influenced that's just one, head in their phone the entire day. One out of five um, adults will suffer from the consequences of a mental challenge of some kind. And that seems low. Yeah. Meaning it's probably really higher. It's Well, it depends on how we diagnose it. Yeah. Right, you know, I like I like to subscribe to the fact we're all on the spectrum to what degree, uh, 100%. right? Um, and it's all about you know who's the third party that's evaluating, mm -hmm. you know, diagnosed or not diagnosed. But um, you know, that's another really important thing that if we don't see that as mainstream, mm -hmm. it's all it's all chemical. Whether we, we you know break our arm or, or we're struggling with 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 um, how our brain is interpreting information, it's all the same. We need to have it all on the table and. I think that's some of the progress we're seeing is that those stigmas are going away. We're starting to get access to it. But, you know, I'll tell you, it's it's one of the things that really has me get up every morning and run and, and do all these things um, is that if we don't figure out how to get deeper access to ourselves and each other, um, we're fucked. The, the problems we are facing, we can't even begin to comprehend the nature of the challenges that are coming mm -hmm. because we're able to create them so much faster than we've ever created them before. Mm -hmm. You have to remember, we live in an age right now where... Um, it's no longer an abstract idea that everything we do has global consequences. We can see it at the speed of light now. It happens instantly. Yeah. And so we have to know this. Um, everything is connected. Um, and so if we don't understand how to take more responsibility for that and how do we influence those connections in some way, um, we're, we're in real trouble. It could be the other way, too, where this ex where we're living through the hard times now because now we're really seeing this, ex like everything's exposed to your point, globally everything's exposed. You know, you can look at these people getting exposed on sexual harassment, right? Like, good shit is coming out of that in the sense that people are gonna be a little more cautious going forward, right? Does the exposure help people become better human beings at the same time? Mm. Yeah, it all depends on, I guess, how do we want to be, right? This Maybe is what not it better human beings, but they're just afraid to do that bad shit because they're going to get exposed online. At a minimum, if that's a side effect, great, but we can do better than that. Why can't we create... So I talk about this doom and gloom. Um, one of the challenges, I think, that we're facing as a society is our the bias of the way we deal with the world is that it's a problem that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And if we think about things that way, we're always thinking about it from the standpoint of who or what went wrong. And then it becomes a blame game, and then it puts us all in a defensive position, which squanders our ability to be creative. So that's one way of problem solving. We have a lot of tools in which we think that way. 
even design thinking is all about what's the problem that needs to be fixed. What if we looked at it differently and said, what's the future we want to have? Then it becomes a, what conditions need to be created to have that future? I think that we have an opportunity right now when it comes to all the all the terrible things that have gone have been exposed lately um, to create conditions in which men and women, every identity, can understand that we are all uh, creatures made up of a whole lot of elements of attributes. That if we could understand how to see in each other and access and draw out of each other, we'd be in a lot better shape, right? So I think about your community you're building around you, right? Where you you are getting to know people and not just what they're good at, like I'm, I'm, I'm good at typing or whatever, but who, what they're good for as human beings, right? You're accessing more of them as a human, not just as a functional robot or some machine. That's what I'm talking about. How do we come to having communities and organizations that understand that each of us might have some sacred key that's going to unlock this mystery? And if we squandered of that, if we continue to minimize each other, um, we're doing ourselves a disservice. So how do we create conditions where we can honor that and look at another human being and say, you know what, the key that might unlock my mystery or this mystery that we're facing could be lying in you. How am I going to go find that? What you, am I going to do to have... Do you think it's just something that... It could be a something simple as a video that unlocks something for somebody. Yep. Right? When do you... You have somebody you care about so much. When... And you're trying to unlock that so many different ways. And it's not working, right? One year, two years, three years. Yeah. Where, where's, is there a cutoff? Where's the, do you just keep trying to figure it out? Maybe you're not tapping into the right things? It's a great question. And actually it was a critical time in the evolution of, of, um, of Fathom where I was spending an awful lot of time trying to um, sort of wave my flag and, and have others come to where I was. Mm -hmm. Like, come, it's great here. Like, you got to check it out. Sick, man. And, and, it's, and, and try, to, try to make them be something they weren't ready to be. Yeah. And you could put tons of energy there, and it's incredibly dissatisfying and frustrating. So Maybe I stopped. they weren't ready because they were nervous, or they were just... It, it, they liked you, but they weren't ready to leave what they had, or whatever. Whatever it was, it didn't... And, and so you could put a lot of effort there. What changed everything is when I stopped being in that business and just simply opened the door. Mm -hmm. Walked back through and revealed the path and then said, you know, look, you choose. You want to take this or not, but here's the path. And if you do, I'm going to create every opportunity I can for you to walk your way through this and develop what you need to develop. And boy, that changed everything. So it wasn't about me dragging you down the same path I went down and hoping that it works out. It's more, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to show you a glimpse of what's going on here come see it with me and if you're interested come play and I'll, I'll I'll create a game that we can play together and that's been my sort of mantra ever since and ever since what's been happening is um, I'm finding myself in situations where people and opportunities are showing up around me to go play mm -hmm. so what are we gonna do that's gonna make some sort of a difference like this conversation right yeah. this, it's totally was you know putting an intention out to the world Here's some folks that really give a shit and are willing to do something about what's going on around here. Um, what could we conspire to do together? So that's, that's sort of my, my mantra. Is, um, when you look at any um, set of outcomes, they are a consequence of an ecosystem. And if you want to change those outcomes, you got to change the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So look at the ecosystem, find your allies, and conspire with them. 
and that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's taken me places I just couldn't imagine, including sitting in this room with you both today. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. And and you're, I would imagine you're giving a lot of freedom to those around you to be creative. To do, like, you're not living in this traditional box. I would imagine at Fathom where you've got to like punch a clock. Like, you tell me. Maybe you are. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the inner workings. But how much freedom do you give? people around you well it's funny it's the same 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 way we talk about with our clients um, does it really matter how we got there as long as we honored our values as long as the outcomes were delivered right so if we honored our values and the outcomes happened does it really matter what happened in the middle um, and so that that idea has us look at everything we do as a unique expression of the practitioner so whoever's in the room it's the way that that conversation is going to unfold is going to be unique to that human being and the way they think and the way they see things but as long as there's some fundamental mastery of certain practices that are going to allow us to be reliable for certain outcomes every time, it frees us to be able to have it be a unique experience for everyone. So lately we've been really busy around laying out sort of those fundamental things that we all need to have mastery of that then free us to then be able to practice in our own unique way depending on what we're doing. And you said some in your video online, like on your website, on, on fathom.net, you said something about to create a, a decision of where we're going to go as an or, like from organizational standpoint the more input the more opinions right yeah. you're going to get to that answer a little bit easier a little bit quicker you're going to have more information more data it's almost the uh, um, Ray Dalio uh, mindset right yeah. did you read his last book no I haven't read the last one it, He's kind of got this mindset where everybody has an opinion hmm. in his company, and it's out on the table. Oh, yes, I have. Now I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's super interesting. Yeah. Right? But it, and it was, I thought there was a connection there where you want more information from all the key players in that organization than not, right? So you're not just taking the management or the people at the top. You're taking into account everybody and their feeling around what's trying to be accomplished. So let's just take this as an example. It's a, um, elements of the human condition that are, I think, I've found undeniable. We want to work on stuff, uh, sorry, we want to matter. Uh, we want to work on stuff that's meaningful and we want to see a connection between what we're doing and the difference it makes in the world. If we are a member of an organization, if we can understand that the meaning of that organization is even beyond what I could comprehend for myself, what am I gonna be willing to give? And so with that mindset, we find that the best futures are ones that were um, a construct of the entire community involved. So if it were an organization involving everyone and their ability to contribute their deepest ideas, all that does is make the purpose of that organization bigger and beyond what any one person could ever say. One of the things that's really tricky about what we do is or, or taking on these conversations, and, and you'll know this because you take them on all the time, um, is the minute you think you know what it is, you kill possibility. The minute you have an idea of what it should be, when you know, it collapses what's possible. Mm -hmm. The minute you stay open to not knowing what it is and just keep letting the input happen to make it bigger and bigger and catch yourself by surprise, um, the more you will create a possibility that's beyond yeah. what you ever imagined and yet still more powerful than you could have imagined. That includes everybody. Um, 
and it goes to sort of traditional ways we think about organizations where, you know, we have a small leadership team making all the decisions, then shoving them down into the organization. And everyone's like, well, what is all this? We didn't, why are we doing this? What's this all about? Um, instead, what if we included everybody? And everybody was an architect of what the future of that organization would be like. Now you have a population of owners that see that they're just as responsible as everyone else to then create that future. What would I be willing to give if I felt ownership of something versus just being told what to do? Um, and that's the difference. So it's a tricky thing, and it's kind of, you know, but an organization probably says, Brent, I want like the answer in two weeks. Like they want, yeah. time, but you can't do what you're talking about necessarily on a deadline. So interesting, and it, and it goes back to your earliest thought about you know the strategy and the plan, and it takes time. Those kinds of things. Um, what we do is we create sort of early stage candidates of some of these ideas that we're talking about. And then it becomes From a, your perceived with the client. With no, the client. With their, so we facilitate a conversation that lets them come up with some early stage ideas that help them understand their purpose, help them understand their future, mm -hmm. help them understand certain aspects of their organization. And then it's a matter of, okay, let's put these into play. Let's see yeah. if they do what they were meant to do, which is to allow you to see your organization differently and create new possibility. Mm -hmm. Did it work? It did? Great. So they held up. Would we refine them anymore? If we started including more and more of your population and in, in allow them to shape these ideas, would they take on a stronger and stronger presence? Great. And if they do, let's try it again. Let's use these ideas. What does it allow us to create? Did that creation make a difference? Excellent. These tools are still working. What we find over time is that those nascent ideas at the beginning put into play over and over again, they get refined, more powerful, more elevated. Um, but the whole time, it's not about having them, it's about being driven by them. So as soon as they exist and everyone goes, wow, that's it, great, let's see if they generate any value. Mm -hmm. And then let's come back to them and do it again. Do yeah. they still generate any value? It's kind of like the psychology, you know, the more negative thoughts you have, just multiply and multiply and multiply, as opposed to like if you have positive thoughts and you have positive reinforcement, and you keep doing that, it'll multiply and kind of like have better impact on your life. Momentum's a huge thing, yeah. right? And, and if there's people pulling in different directions, the momentum never gets started. Is it often that you find that the people, uh, you know, on the forefront or the bottom of an organization have really, really different outlook on the organization's future than the top? of the organization? Is that just a common theme over and over again? Definitely. And, and that it's merely a consequence of what they're looking at. So if you look at, let's say the business development team, they're in relationship with the world all the time, 24 seven. If you're on the production end of things, you're in relationship with delivery. Mm -hmm. How am I going to make this on time and get it out the door on time? And I know every little bit of nuance of what it takes to do that, but I don't fully understand what's the nature of the world we're serving right now. And so oftentimes inside of organizations, we bring those unique perspectives together because if you can, then you have an absolute understanding of what's it like to relate to the world and sell what we sell and to be relevant to the world and what does it take to deliver reliably on the promises you're making. Yeah. There's a disconnect between that all the time. For we sure. in manufacturing all the time where there's the front office and then there's the production folks. Um, if we bring those folks together, that's where magic happens. Yeah, it's like a team because yeah. it's like... You know, we're not asking somebody who's in production to be a master salesperson, but just have some sort of clarity on what they do so you can do your job better. I always like use like a sports analogy, like, you know, you don't want a quarterback kicking the field goals, but at least the quarterback can have an appreciation for what the field kicker does yeah. so they can do their job. Well, better. I think about, you know, the tour we had earlier where you were really 
speaking to the features and benefits, but the capabilities and what's possible here. Mm -hmm. You need to have a connection with the folks that actually make that possible, or else you're inauthentic in what you're telling me. But and so that's the crux. That oftentimes that's the case. Yeah, is that there's a fundamental breakdown because you know we think of our employees as functional parts of the business as opposed to know a community of people with unique experiences and perspectives that if we brought together all kinds of innovation could take place yeah um, and it would ground you in the promises that you could be making out in the world because you know what's driving the people that you're working with and you know how to take care of them so you're not being irresponsible in what you're bringing back in to produce because you know what they're trying to do as well yeah from a, yeah go ahead well I was, from a tactical approach when you have an organization What's the easiest way to get to that place in the sense that you can have meeting after meeting after meeting and they end up, you know, you can go, okay, we're going to have a two-hour meeting, so we feel like we're going to get more done, but really you would have <coughs> the same amount done in your typical one-hour meeting or half-hour meeting. Yeah. Is it more communication in a different fashion than a meeting? How do you get to that place of, of understanding where Brian needs to understand what everybody in his organization is doing and, and what their true meaning is. Where do you get to, to that place? The sweet spot. Yeah, the sweet spot is when um, it's so clearly understood the greater purpose that everyone is driving toward, that everyone is willing to put aside their ego, put aside their mm-hmm. defensiveness um, to contribute in some important way. And yeah. so tactically, is that conversation after conversation? I, I, I just can't imagine it being that simplistic. Well, it so in simplistic in the framing, right? If if we're being driven by a higher purpose or some purpose greater than our ourselves or our self-interest or our industry, um, then I can contribute more fully to it. It's practicing that. Mm-hmm. And the practicing of that is a really interesting thing. Um, I talk about it as the three dimensions of, of um, organizational design. Um, the dimension we typically think from is the, is the day that we're in. How am I going to meet the demands today? I got 27 things to do today and I'm busy. I got 15 proposals to get out. I got these meetings and calls and so on. That is so overwhelming for us that it's easy for us to put aside everything else, including future and purpose. But if we could include those two and we could be taking action and thinking about what we're doing, not just in one dimension, but the dimension of what's so now and the things I got to meet today, but also the second dimension of future, then it gives me a chance to not only deal with what's going on here, but design the action I'm going to take to also satisfy creating some condition for the future. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, now I've got insane amount of influence about how things are not only going to be dealt with now, but how they're going to turn out in the future. When we only think in one dimension, um, we can have the satisfaction that whatever we did immediately dealt with the issue we were facing, but often there's a side effect, and that side effect catches us by surprise. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad, but it's still a surprise. Well, it shouldn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. If we thought in the two dimensions, then we could um, understand how that thing might have a side effect further down the line. Now, here's the tricky part. Our day takes no energy to create the pressure that we need to satisfy. It's showing up in our email when the minute we wake up, it's in our calendar, it's in all those things. Future, on the other hand, will be crushed under the weight of the demands of our day if we let it. We have to keep energy to hold future open or else it will be crushed. And the only thing that we have found that allows a group of people to hold open future is to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And a purpose that's so undeniably 
uh, compelling that I'm willing to fight to keep future open or under the crushing weight of how am I going to meet the demands of the day. Mm -hmm. And that's why the three dimensions. Um, if those can exist and you can increase the population of human beings that not only contributed to those three dimensions but are thinking with them, it changes the organization completely. And what we find is they dramatically outperform their peer group, not just organizations, but communities. They outperform. Um, and they're more satisfied in what they're doing every time. Um, but it is hard work because think about it. When you think about what you have to do tomorrow, um, it easily gives you all the excuses you need to put aside all this other stuff. Yeah. All these other things that aren't tangible, that we can't see, but we have to believe in and stay focused on. So it's tough. Wow. I think that's like, that's a good good spot right there to end this that that's it's, it's just unbelievable the way your mind works and i'm really thankful that you spent some time with us i know we have one more whiskey to get into which i'm hoping we can get into that yeah one whiskey yeah more so if you're listening to the podcast you're gonna have to jump onto uh youtube which we'll link up in this podcast world wherever you are on apple or on soundcloud and you'll see that third whiskey. But before we just sign off, Brent, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier in the podcast. If somebody wants to connect with you, it's going to be fathom.net, right? That's yep. going to be the spot. Or if I may, just type me and in I'm link LinkedIn. I'm going to link that up. If somebody wants to connect with, with Brian, you're going to be at... Soundlessmedia.com. Soundlessmedia.com. I'll link both of those up. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate one, Brian. Yeah hosting here at Sonalus yeah. Studios. This place is amazing, by the way. I'm, really um, I'm going to, when when this thing comes out, I definitely want to send a link so people come take a tour. This is a pretty amazing place. It. Yeah, yeah. Th this is really, really rad. So, really appreciate that. Well, thank you guys for having us, for having, well, thank you. you, <laughs> you for, I know, thank you for coming down. Um, Absolutely. So. Really good it. conversation. So, that's it. That's the podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in.